Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us before we begin. Father, we are, again, humbled, Lord, to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord, we come to this place this morning with anticipation of all you're going to do. And Lord, we, we set aside right now all the distractions of life, Lord, all the things that hinder us and keep us from hearing from you and, and focusing clearly on you. And Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us this morning, Lord, as we continue to worship through our study, as we open up the truth of your word, I pray that it would resonate within our hearts and our minds. I pray it would cause us to think differently, to act differently. I pray, Father, we'd be transformed more into the image of your Son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning by reading a portion of an article about the persecution that Christians are facing currently in Iraq. The last Christians in northern Iraq are fleeing from places where their communities have lived for almost 2,000 years. As a deadline passed for them to either convert to Islam, pay a special tax, or be killed. The Islamic State of Iraq, or ISIS, issued a decree last week offering Christians the three options, accompanied by the ominous threat that if they did not comply by midday, the 19th of July, quote, there is nothing to give them but the sword. Now, unfortunately, this is not the only case of Christian persecution around the world. In fact, you could read of the story of the pastor in Sri Lanka who was attacked by a mob. They broke into his house. They beat his family. They beat him unconscious. He spent four days in the hospital. You could read of the account in Nigeria where dozens of Christians in a village were killed in two separate attacks in the early part of June. Militants dressed in army clothing shot and slashed people while bombing and burning homes. One of the assaults lasted five hours. Now on and on the the list could go. We could talk about persecution in Sudan. We could talk about persecution in North Korea. We could talk about persecution in China, Malaysia, Nepal, Iran, Somalia. On and on the list goes. In fact, if you're interested in reading more about this, you can go to the website persecution.org. Persecution.org. It's the website of the Voice of the Martyrs, and it updates on a regular basis the need all around the world. I want to make a statement to you that I believe is true, and I think it ought to wake some of us up. Christians all over the world are being tested, and more and more believers currently are falling under persecution than ever before. Now, we're isolated in our country, praise the Lord, right now. None of us are forced to make that hard decision. We're not facing great persecution now, but our views are being questioned. Our faith is being challenged. Christianity is being maligned over and over and over again. It seems harder and harder in the country of America, the United States of America, to be a follower of Jesus Christ without someone challenging exactly what you believe. I think in the world that we live in, based on what's happening across the globe, 
based on the circumstances that surround us here in our country now, I think we need believers of great courage. We need men and women who are willing to stand up for the truth. We need men and women that are willing, regardless of the cost, to forsake all for the gospel of Christ. And our text this morning is going to give us a picture of exactly what that trust and courage looks like. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Now let me give you a little bit of a history lesson before we delve into this text this morning. King Nebuchadnezzar, a very wicked king of Babylon, had overtaken the city of Jerusalem. He had taken with him all the best and the brightest, the smart young men, the leaders in Jerusalem. He had taken them with him back to the city of Babylon and installed them in a training program to be part of his government. Now many of you will remember the story of Daniel, Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel was one of the men that Nebuchadnezzar brought back to Babylon from Jerusalem. Also with Daniel were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, how many of you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a kid? What, what did they go through? Tell me. Fiery furnace. That's right. I was talking to my kids this week, and I forgot which one I asked. They usually ask me, Dad, what are you going to be preaching on this week? And I said, I'm going to be preaching in Daniel chapter 3. What's Daniel chapter 3? I said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, the fiery furnace. All right, the light bulbs went off. So King Nebuchadnezzar has brought these men back. He's brought them into his government. He's begun to train them, and he's asking certain things of them. Now, in this context, in this story in Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar has built a 90-foot-tall idol. It's this huge idol, and he calls all of his leaders from around the country, all the government officials, to come to this ceremony in which they're going to dedicate this idol. And he tells them, listen, we're going to blow the horns and the trumpets, and we're going to beat the drums. And when all those things happen, you need to bow down before this idol. So the time comes and everybody shows up and they're all assembled in front of this great idol and the horns blow and the trumpets play and the drums are beat and everybody falls down and worships at this great idol except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now the government officials notice this and they see what's going on and so they scurry off to the king tell him, oh Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't following your decree, oh wise king. What are you going to do about it? Now we pick up the story in verse 13. Let's read together. I think we have it on the screen for us as well. Daniel 3.13, furious with rage. Now, let me just remind you of something. Nebuchadnezzar was, at this point in history, one of, if not the most powerful man in the world. If there's a list of people you don't want to infuriate, Nebuchadnezzar is at the top of your list. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men brought, were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up. Verse 15. Now when you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harp and the pipes and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. In other words, he's kind of giving them another chance here, right? But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace and then I just this last question is pretty uncomprehensible then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand now here's what Nebuchadnezzar is saying to these men it's the same question that was asked of them centuries ago 
It's the same questions asked of Christians in the first century. It's the same question that's been asked from centuries since. And those that are persecuted today, he's asking them this. Is your God real, number one? And number two, how much trust do you have in him? Because, fellas, you've got a choice here, right? <laughs> you, you can either worship this idol and bow down to the idol I've told you to worship and everything's going to be fine and you can forsake your Lord. Or you can refuse to bow down to this idol and I'm going to throw you into this, in his words, this bla- blazing furnace or the fiery furnace as we used to call it. Now, let's deviate just for a second into our world today. Nobody in this congregation, I don't think, has ever been asked to bow down to a 90-foot idol. But what are the idols of the world that you're being asked to bow down to in every single day? Which ways are you being challenged to listen to the things of the world and not the things of the Lord? What are the idols that you struggle with on a regular basis? And are you at this point in your walk in faith where you've kind of got to make this decision? Am I going to bow down to the idols of the world and forsake Christ? Or am I going to find the courage to do the things that the Lord has called me to do regardless of what it costs? Now, I love what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say in verse 16 through 18. In fact, this is kind of going to be the focus of our message this morning. So the king has told him, you can bow down or be thrown into the furnace. And then what God's going to rescue you at that point, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. Here's their answer. O Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So the question is this, how do we face the trials of life? How do we face the difficulties in this world? How do we face persecution that seems to be mounting and growing and extending beyond other parts of the world, even into America, even into our own homes? Here's the first truth I want you to get from this passage of Scripture this morning. Number one, we need to be bold for the sake of the gospel. Men and women... We need to stand up for the truth of the word. We need to quit bowing down to the idols of the world. And we need to do the things that Christ has called us to do. Now people have been bold for Jesus for centuries. It's nothing new. In fact, if you wanted to go back and do some research on the struggles of Christians all through the centuries, you could do some numbers and get some statistics. And you'd find out that over the last 2,000 years approximately, this is an estimate, nobody knows for sure, but over the last 2,000 years, approximately 70 million Christians have been martyred for their faith. Over 2,000 years, approximately 7 million Christians have been martyred for their faith. Now here's the staggering part of this statistic. Almost half of those have occurred in the last 100 years. Now we think about the persecution of Nero in the early centuries and the Romans and all that is true. But of all the persecution and all those that have been martyred for their faith, over half of that has occurred in the last 100 years. And yet there's still believers that are bold for their faith. There's still people willing to stand up for the truth of the gospel. 
There's still people willing to forsake the idols of the world, instead follow the things of Christ. You may have heard the report of the small village in China where the government has come and removed the cross. I read that account this week and I started reading a little bit more and kind of followed it. If you're not familiar with what took place, there's this small little church in a small little village in China. And there was a cross at the top of the church. And the Chinese government arrived several weeks ago and pulled the cross down. And I want to read the account in this article. After the Chinese government had pulled the cross down off of this church, the next day, a church member used his own welding torch to put it back. He was promptly detained and questioned for 10 hours, watch this, on the charge of operating a welding business without a license. A week later, the crew came back to remove the cross. Once again, church members put it back, now tattered and a little shorter. Now, this village has since had its water cut off. They've had their electricity cut off. And I read again this morning, they're in day 34 of a standoff, apparently, now. The Chinese government and the police have kind of surrounded this little village. And apparently, thousands of believers have flocked to this place to defend this cross. One man, 73 years old, said this, and I quote, I won't let them take down the cross, even if it means they shoot me Dead. Huh. Now, this isn't a movie, folks. If you got on an airplane right now and flew to China, you could walk into this village and see this taking place in our world right now. For centuries and centuries, centuries and even today, faith in Jesus Christ for most people has come at a great price. Now, praise the Lord, we don't have to face that yet, do we? I've never personally had to make the decision between safety or attending church. I've never had to make the decision between worshiping the Lord and going to prison. I've never had to make the choice between living as a pagan or dying as a Christian. We're not there yet, but I'm fearful, and I know many of you are in conversations I've had, that we're not far from that in our country. Persecution is on the rise worldwide. It's at our doorsteps. And every moment we walk, it seems we walk a little closer to persecution and a little closer to people blaspheming the name of God openly. And so I look at our children. And I look at the children of this church. And I have four children. You saw the precious little preschoolers that came in here this morning. I look at our students and I ask myself this question. What does the future hold for their walk with Christ? I had a man tell me years ago, and I've never forgotten, and I hope he's dead wrong. But he and I were talking about persecution and about how things in the world are so different than they are here, and really how good we've got it here in America. And talking about our children, he said, we may be raising a generation of martyrs. I hope he's wrong, but he may be right. I think we need to look around the world, folks. (laughs) And recognize that it's beating down our door. And we need men and women that are willing to stand up. We need men and women that are willing to be bold. I love what's happening here at this church with with all the people that are going and serving and being involved. And I love, love, love how our children and our students are part of it. I love it. We got a group right now in Alaska with entire families ministering for the gospel. They got their entire family on a plane. They flew eight hours to Anchorage, Alaska. They've been ministering there all week. 
We have high school and college students from Rosemont Baptist Church in Romania right now sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We got students that are going to be going on trips this year, into this year. We got students that will be going on trips next year. My family is going to be going with me to Zambia. We got young people in this church that are understanding mission work. Amy and I were talking this week about what this church has done and how the Lord has blessed us and how mission work is just kind of changing the, really the fabric of, of kind of who we are. And we commented that we're raising a generation of kids that are not going to be afraid to do the things that scare us. I mean, we're going to have a generation of kids one day that aren't going to be afraid to fly to Asia where people are being persecuted. It's happening already. we got a student right now in Southeast Asia, and I know for a fact things are, are difficult right where she is. You'll hear from her in a couple weeks when she gets back. There's a student right now at our church, that's college student, that's praying about full-time mission work. And we, we see what the Lord's doing, and we see, you know what, I, I just wondered in my mind, if, if and I'm, I'm, I'm going to stand along with you now, if the adults have kind of failed so often, the Lord's saying, you know what, I'll just use the children. I'll just raise up a generation. I think about the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness and the 40 years they had to struggle because the people were not interested in doing the things of the Lord. So you know what he did? He raised up a generation. He raised up a generation that took the reins and moved forward. And you say, I I get that. I know. I, I, I do struggle with that. I do want to be bold for the sake of the gospel, but I'm just not sure how I can do it. How can I be bold? How can I take this step? How would I have responded if I had lived in Daniel chapter 3? How would I have responded if I had been called before King Nebuchadnezzar in this 90-foot idol? I don't know. I don't know how I would have responded. But I'll tell you this. You don't have to worry about being as bold as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can simply be a little more bold tomorrow than you were today. That's where you start. You may not do incredible things because of your boldness and courage tomorrow, but you can be a little more bold tomorrow than you are today. You say, well, I'm not sure... How to do that? Well, how about that coworker that you've been thinking about that's on your heart? You know what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> that maybe is unsaved or maybe is struggling or maybe needs somebody in their life to speak truth into their heart and that person is you. You need the boldness to speak to that person. Students, you're going to be starting school very soon, right? Unfortunately. Teachers, there are going to be teachers and students that you're going to sit with on a regular basis in class that don't know Christ. Now, you don't have to stand up in front of the classroom with a Bible and wave it and start screaming out Bible verses if you don't want to. But you can be bold at lunch when you talk to that person about your walk. Don't beat them over the head about what they ought to do. Tell them about what the Lord's done for you. Be bold. Maybe you can be a little bolder at home, men or women, with your children and with your grandchildren, with a niece or nephew, with your spouse. Maybe you can be a little more bold in leading them to worship the Lord. Maybe you can be a little more bold in leading them to follow Christ in all things. But I just think we ought to look at this text in Daniel chapter 3 and and understand what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through and how they responded. And I think we need to be bold for the sake of the gospel. Now let's continue to move forward. Look at verse 16, 17, 18 again. O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. There's this great sense of boldness there, right? We just believe the Lord is going to protect us. But, and I love verse 18, it kind of sets aside this idea of boldness. And he says, but even if he does not. In other words, if if the Lord doesn't save us, 
We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Here's the second truth. Not only is boldness something we all need to move towards and seek as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, but number two, we need a deep and abiding trust in the Lord. We need a deep and abiding trust in the Lord. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verse 18, even if he does not, there's this sense here, right? The king, we believe the Lord is going to help us. We believe the Lord is going to protect us. We believe the Lord's going to pull us out of that furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to trust him. Even if he allows us to die this death, we're still going to follow him. See, I think as we understand this text and as we understand our walk, I think we need to understand a very simple truth. Our trust in the Lord will increase our boldness to do the things of Christ. The deeper your faith is, the deeper that trust is, the bolder you will become. I had the opportunity several years ago to, when I was still teaching school, we took a group of kids to North Carolina to a camp. And this camp was in the mountains of North Carolina, and it was beautiful, very scenic, and they had a lot of outdoory type stuff to do, a lot of hiking and waterfalls. And, but at one portion of this camp, because it was very mountainous, they had this really long zip line, several hundred feet, maybe a thousand feet, I don't know. And it was kind of built up on the side of a mountain anyway. And so there's this tower, right? And so you, if you've never been ziplining, they strap you in with this really comfortable harness, right? And they, whoop, they cinch it up really tight. And so you're, you know, you're kind of walking up this mountain and you, you make your way all the way up to the top. And you, you, know, you walk the, kind of the zigzag up to the top. And you get to the top of this thing and there's a guy there. And he, he, he hooks all the metal and all this equipment in. And, and there's this moment when you're standing on top of this 50-foot tower that overlooks a 100-foot drop, blah, 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 and you're seeing the tops of trees, and you're thinking, I've never quite seen trees from this perspective before, and you're looking, and you barely see where the zip line ends, there's this moment where you're right there on the edge, and you've got to decide, do I trust this harness? Do I trust this metal contraption, all this carabiner stuff, the pulleys? Do I trust that? Do I trust this zip line? Do I trust that the people that are in charge of security, of safety, have actually been in charge of safety and this thing's going to operate like it's supposed to? Because there's this moment I've got to decide. If I trust all this stuff, I'm stepping off. (laughs) And there's this sense of boldness. I'm bold enough to do this. But the boldness comes because you trust all that equipment, right? Had you walked up to the top of that thing and the the harness was kind of halfway torn and tattered a little bit and one leg was open and... You got up there and the metal was bent, and the guy looked at the metal and threw one piece off. Ah, oh, we don't need that, and hooked it back up. And, and you, you notice that the, 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 the zip line is kind of tattered on the end, it's frayed on the end, and you're not going to go off, are you? Your boldness is directly related to trust. So if you want to be bold for the Lord, you know what you need to do? You need to strengthen your faith, you need to trust Him more. Because your trust in the Lord will give you boldness beyond anything you can imagine. If you really believe the Lord is who he says he is, if you really believe he's going to do what he says he's going to do, then there should be great boldness. I started thinking and imagining. What would life be like if we were bolder for Christ? I saw what what would happen if we had more faith and and more trust in the Lord to do all the things that he said he would do. I started thinking, how would our witness change if we trusted the Lord? 
How would your evangelism look then? You know, it still takes something like 50 believers, 50 Southern Baptist members to reach one person for Christ in a year. I wonder how that number would change if we truly trusted in the Lord. If our faith led us to boldness. I wonder how you would act differently with mission work. Whether it's at work or at home or all the way across the world. I wonder how your trust and your faith in the Lord, if it were strengthened and it was deeper and you walked with Him regularly, I wonder how all those things would look. I wonder how work would be different for you if you were bold and if you trusted and had that faith. I wonder how you would make decisions differently if you were bold and you trusted and you had that faith. You begin to think about your life and how different things would be if you trusted the Lord more. If your faith was deeper and stronger in Christ. See, we need to understand one thing. There are all sorts of things in this world that trick us and deceive us and lie to us. And so it's hard for us to trust Christ isn't one of those things. So you can be assured that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And so our trust leads us to boldness. Our boldness leads us to accomplish incredible things. Let's continue on verse 19. So Nebuchadnezzar was furious. Now you can imagine we got the scripture for you as well. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His attitude toward them changed. Now, you can just imagine he was already mad. His attitude changed, and he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throw them into the blazing furnace, verse 21. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Now at this point, humanly speaking, it's over, right? You've been tied up, you've been bound We've heated this furnace seven times hotter than usual. In fact, it's so hot the men that threw you in were burned to death. We're going to throw you in this furnace, and at this moment, it's all going to be over. So King Nebuchadnezzar kind of sits down just to take all this in and kind of gloat in his victory over these men. Now verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now let's just pause there just for a second. Because there's, there's a, a lot of debate with scholars as exactly who this was. A lot of people believe it was Christ himself. Some say an angel. We don't know exactly who it was other than it was some sort of a representation of the Lord. Now here, here's what we need to get out of this. I want you to hear me when I say this. God doesn't always keep you from falling into the furnace. Sometimes he just wants to walk with you while you're there. He doesn't always keep us out of the trials, does he? (laughs) He could have shut that furnace up. He could have shut down that fire. He could have killed Nebuchadnezzar and all of his soldiers. He could have allowed these three men to go free. But instead, he allows them to be bound, to be thrown into this fire... And instead of rescuing them from the flames, he decides to walk with them while they're there. I want you to notice what happens. This is fascinating to me in verse 26. 
Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. you remember how he had asked a little while ago what God is going to rescue you from that furnace? Now he's calling out to them as servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the royal advisors crowded around him. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, and I want you to watch his reaction here. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. What if we lived by that truth in verse 28? Now verse 29, Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Here's the third truth, and I'm going to finish with it this morning. Our boldness and trust will change others. Our boldness and our trust and our faith will change others. Now, these guys changed an empire. You say, I, I don't know, can I change an entire empire? I don't know if you can change an empire by yourself, but you can certainly change one other person, can't you? You can certainly change that person at work through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can certainly change that person at home through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can change that person at the ball field. You can change that person that your family likes to go to dinner with. On and on the list goes, when you are bold and when you trust the Lord and you have faith, he's going to do great things through you. He wants to use you. He wants to bless you. He wants you to trust him. And so he gives you this chance. He gives you this opportunity. Seek him. Follow him. Trust in him wherever he may lead. Now, I understand in the world that we live in, it's sometimes tempting to fall down and worship the idols of the world. It's tempting to, to fear sometimes and to be afraid of all the things the Lord has called us to do. It's easy to allow ourselves to kind of take a back seat to the world and to kind of follow along with all the world is saying, kind of blend in with all the people that surround us. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to be different. We're called to stand out. We're called to be bold. We're called to trust. So I want to encourage you as we continue to move forward, seeking all the Lord has called us to be, find strength in Him. Find boldness in Him. Trust him in ways you've never trusted him before. And I promise you, he'll do great things through your obedience. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of this message, Lord. Thank you for the challenge of living a life that's honoring to you. Lord, I pray that we would all recognize the need to stand up for our faith, to be bold, to be courageous, Lord. I pray you would just do a mighty work in our hearts, Lord, as we continue to seek you and as we continue to pray, Lord, and we continue to grow in our walk. I pray that you would just give us the the desire and the ability and the strength to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. Lord, you use us. 
in a mighty way for your kingdom's purpose. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity as we do every Sunday morning to respond. Whether you're responding in your heart, in your seat, or you're responding down here at the altar, you should respond in some way to the words of the Lord. You can join this church. You can accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can come and pray. But this is your time now as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.